Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Hey, Tara. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm excited for this week's topic of conversation. Yeah. So it's all things childcare and school, I guess, because school is childcare and all that kind of good stuff. How are you feeling about childcare and babies and the burden placed on ladies? Yeah, well, for anyone who doesn't know, right now I'm 27 weeks pregnant, so I'm facing some real, I guess, interesting um, challenges, I think. Being obviously pregnant in the pandemic has been not something I'd probably recommend to anyone, Um, but I think, like, starting to look at, you know, for our little one, daycares, Uh, for when I want to go back to work and when my husband wants to go back to work because we're planning on both taking time off. That has been challenging because they've been closed for a portion of COVID. But then, and I'm sure we'll get into this, just the challenges around childcare for those kids that are under the age of um, like five or six. But then also looking at and having the conversation with my husband around, if we would feel comfortable sending our kids back to school full-time during a global pandemic with, in Alberta, what I consider to be a lack of a a plan to send the kids back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what we have here is definitely lack of a plan. And I've noticed that it's Alberta, BC, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, uh, Quebec, and I wanna say Nova Scotia, are the few provinces that have decided we're all going back at a hundred percent like no one cares there is no pandemic basically september first the thing about nova scotia though is don't they have like no cases i feel like they have a lot less and like when you compare quebec as well they also have a comparatively a well-funded public education system so if you already have like a good amount of funding and you can limit the class sizes and you can you know do the the necessary cleaning hire more staff where necessary yeah like sure send the kids back the same at the same rate in the same way that we all go back to corporate offices but if no one's going back to corporate offices for eight hours a day or if we are we're wearing masks we're doing extra cleaning like i know for for us it's like only one person can use the bathroom at a time there are all these like new procedures new guidelines new rules but an elevator yeah right but if we're not doing that for the kids how can we expect the teachers, the support staff, the older children who understand what's going on to feel like valued members of our society. We're just marching them off like nothing's happening. You can't go to a restaurant, 12-year-old, but here you are eight hours a day in a poorly ventilated classroom because your school is underfunded with windows that don't open um, with 30 other people 
like that's not great and like for our teachers too because I've noticed you know some folks are like well we don't know like how COVID infects kids and you know it looks like they might not be so high risk it's like well that's fine but then you might have a 30 year old 45 year old 60 year old teacher or principal or support staff or aide or bus driver that is then working in the same conditions that the kids are learning in and we're not doing that like for everyone else so why are we putting those folks in that position it just seems so wrong yeah, i mean if our leaders aren't gonna allow press at uh press conferences because they're worried about covid and adults know how to socially distance and wear masks i don't think it's fair to ask the children to go back to school well and i'm pretty sure in alberta at least if not nationally um some environmental regulations like actual environmental regulations to ensure that we don't have like toxic shit in our water are not being monitored, upheld, or enforced because of COVID for some fucking reason. Like some of these things are like a fella. Ooh, I did see that. Yeah. Like some of these environmental monitoring is like literally some dude, cause it's usually a dude walking about with like an iPad or a phone, like checking some shit and making sure like literal oil is not like fucking leaking into our environment where we all live. And that's not being done because the government has said, whoa, 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 there's COVID guys. Um, But we can send like 30 kids into a classroom, like literally the size of my bedroom. And like, it's cool. (laughs) yeah it's definitely I don't like I don't even want to say it's a double standard it's like more than a double standard it's if that's possible I don't know it's fucked up but and maybe maybe that's another episode for like yeah double standards and like shit that does not make sense in terms of like the government response to this pandemic um but yeah maybe let's talk about childcare with a pandemic lens but also like before as well because i've got some national numbers which are all from before the pandemic but yeah how's your personal experience how are you feeling about it what are you doing what are you saving so i guess more around like a baby budget um we started putting money into a savings account a couple years ago knowing that we would probably want to start trying to have a family at some point Um, And I think we just turned on like $50 every paycheck or $50 a month or something like that. And, you know, over the course of a couple of years, it amassed to a few thousand dollars. And that's really what we've been using for purchasing kind of anything maternity or baby related. Um, We have bought or gotten or received uh, things that are mostly secondhand, um, like you guys gave us a crib, which was mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, a few things new and some gifts, obviously, from grandparents. They, you know, like to buy things new, but lots of me, you know, scouring Facebook Marketplace because I guess partly it's more sustainable, but from a cost lens, it definitely um, helps the budget. And I mean, so much of that stuff is in such good condition that, I mean, it kind of is silly to buy it new. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the kids, they use it for such a short period of time. Totally. That, yeah. 
and babies don't care. They like they legit true. don't care. Like they can't see your face for like a few weeks even. So they don't care what the crib looks like. Or what they're wearing. The Once Upon a Child here in Calgary, I was actually super impressed with. They basically like onesies there, if there's any mom or moms to be or whatever listening to this. um, You can basically get onesies there that are in really good condition for like a dollar. So that's my new like standard. Like I'm like, oh, I'm only paying a dollar for these. Yeah. And they're actually, I will like give a shout out to them. They're really good. They went online when COVID happened, like very quickly. Um, And of course my kid had a growth spurt, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, like three days into quarantine or self-isolation or whatever you want to call it when my husband got sick. And so it was like, great. Like, how am I going to get this stuff? And yeah, they're awesome. Um, The stuff is like good condition. Yeah. Yeah. Don't find new. But more, I guess. Totally. And like, that's just like high level kind of how we're planning on purchasing all the kind of upfront stuff. Um, And we have been fortunate. We've been gifted a lot of stuff and, you know, hand-me-downs from friends and stuff. But, you know, the more concerning part of this is around what childcare looks like. So I haven't quite figured out how long I'm going to be taking off. And my husband hasn't figured out how long he'll stay at home with baby either. I think it kind of also we're in this like weird time right now where we don't really know how long we're going to be able to take off or when we want to go back because of COVID. So like part of me is kind of like, well, if I'm just going to sit at home for 12 months, like I might as well like see if I can go back part-time or something like that. But at the same time, um, looking at childcare, if both of us are working is freaking expensive Like it's like a second, I know you know this, but it's like a second mortgage. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's like, I don't know how people are doing it. If like one of their spouses is one of the spouses isn't working. Like maybe they got laid off. Like CERB like barely covers like daycare for a kid. Like there are so many daycares that are 15, $1,600 a month. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's not cheap. It's definitely not cheap. And I think it shouldn't be cheap. I think, you know, the, the folks doing this, like they deserve to be paid and paid well, but like at a certain point, like, I think we need to be investing in children nationally from like a very young age to get parents back in the workforce for one. And then also to women back into the workforce, women, because it is, it's, it's, it's women, it's ladies. And if it's not moms, it's grandmas. Or as my husband likes to put, uh, to call them, like the original source of unpaid labor. Um, totally. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's horribly expensive, but I think it's something that like everyone should be investing in to, yeah, keep up uh, uh, like labor participation, but also to ensure that like the future generation is well cared for from day one. And I just want to put this like shit to rest immediately. Hopefully no one thinks this that's listening to our podcast, but like the whole notion of like the best person to raise a child is the mother. Like, no, first of all, as a woman who like has gone through uh, like post-secondary education and wants to have a career and wants to be stimulated by someone other than like, a five-month-old or a two-year-old I think like 
early childhood educators who have gone to school to learn how best to teach our little ones are probably the best people to educate. And this is nothing against stay at home moms. Like if they, if you want to stay at home and like, it's not, it doesn't end up being a financial choice, then that's totally fine. I'm just saying like the only way we get it to not be a financial choice is for, you know, childcare to basically be um, not, there'd be no barriers to entry financially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has to be a real choice, not an illusion of choice. It shouldn't be because your job doesn't pay you enough to actually afford childcare and your real rent payment or mortgage payment. That is not a real choice. That's a false choice. Totally. Um, it shouldn't be that you are, you know, your choice is affordable childcare that is unsafe or unregulated or that for some reason you don't trust um, or go like, or stay home. That's not a real choice. Um, exactly. So you shouldn't be, yeah. And it shouldn't be framed that way. Honestly, the best people to raise your child is the whole fucking community. That's yeah. the best people to raise your child. And that's just how it should be. Kids need social interaction from other parents, from other caregivers, from other children. Um, they don't need to be in some cocoon where it's just like one stressed out parent, usually a mom, trying to make this work without an early childhood education, without, um, you know, if we're talking about homeschooling and stuff without at least four years of an, an ed degree to understand like the curriculum that you're teaching. And when you look at like the higher levels too, you have like a dedicated social studies teacher. You have a dedicated language arts teacher. You have a dedicated math teacher. So to expect like the person who is parenting, um, teaching, you know, guiding them in terms of like ethics, maybe whatever your religious choice is. Um, and then to also bear the burden of being an expert in math, history, language, maybe multiple languages. You know what? If you're going to expect all of that from just like a woman who wanted to bring another life into the world that literally everyone is going to benefit from at some time, then you need to fucking pay that person because to expect us to like stay at home and do all that goddamn shit. Like, no, that, that argument is just so completely baseless and just focuses on guilting a person who obviously loves their child. Yeah. Well, and I think another thing to think about around that is, we both of us are in heterosexual relationships with very educated um, men. So, you know, if we did have to homeschool, and I guess I can't really speak for you guys, but I feel like I, I kind of can. Like, I do feel like across the subjects, we would be fine. But th this doesn't then, you know, take into account maybe individuals who didn't go to post-secondary or don't have an expertise in, um, like, I'm an accountant, so is my husband, or in math or science or whatever. And um, usually that's, you know, maybe people who immigrated here, um, who don't speak the language as fluently as we did, didn't grow up speaking English, um, or just, you know, have maybe they had a learning disability or the way school was taught wasn't for them. So it really doesn't take into account people who are at a disadvantage either and just makes them feel like shitty parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, and doesn't allow them to like focus on being parents either. Um, and I think there's a lot of, um, you know, back and forth benefits to like having a kid in school and um, especially, you know, bringing that knowledge home too and like having robust discussions and having the time to have robust discussions about what kids are learning in school. Like I know um, my uh, paternal grandmother when she came here, she didn't really speak a lot of English. And, um, you know, she would ask us kids, and I'm sure like her kids as well, like when they went to school, like, you know, how do you spell this and stuff and whatever. Like, she knew Portuguese, she knew how to write in Portuguese, it was very cool to learn that side of things from her. Um, And then we were also able to like help with and some of our English language learning when we got to like the higher levels and stuff. That's pretty cool to share um, new information. Like let's say when we talk about the inclusion of the results of like, say the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, when we start to say like, this is actually a full robust picture of Canadian history, which might not be something that our parents learned in school, um, and and see um, historical figures from from a different lens and different perspective and learn about different historical figures. That's also a really great conversation to have as well. Totally, if parents are willing to open their eyes and listen yeah. to those things. Yeah, that would be nice. But like back to the childcare cost. Like the other super frustrating thing about our situation is we actually have a $25 a day daycare in our neighborhood, like within four or five blocks. So we could walk um, to that daycare. So one negative thing about that is they don't take kids that are under 19 months. So that's like what I'm doing November of 2020. So that's, you know, mid 2022 would be the earliest they would take on that. So it's $500 or $550 a month. And the second thing obviously is that program isn't going to exist by the time we have a child of that age. And I just like, I want us to look to what Quebec is doing and, you know, they take a little bit off everyone's paycheck, similar to like an EI or whatever. I think it's like $7 or something. And it's like, you know, $7 a day, daycare or whatever for kids mm-hmm. under that age. And I'm just so frustrated that the UCP is taking that away from parents that are trying to get back into the workforce. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really angry at the argument that came out of that. And I've talked with, um, you know, everyday folks that support for whatever reason, the, um, what's the argument? The, I didn't, I don't know. Oh, it. Uh, it's, um, that the $25 a day daycare didn't actually help the people that it was meant to help because it was first come first serve and it was in neighborhoods that's like maybe were like middle class or upper middle class or whatever. I call bullshit. (sighs) Yeah. And like, okay, maybe so. You want to say that these daycare centers weren't put in the lowest income neighborhoods? fine. I would love to look at the amount of daycares that are not in the lowest income neighborhoods and are not on a transit route. You don't want to make it first come first serve, but you want to make it some way, shape or form that doesn't uh, have some sort of screwed up means testing involved. Yeah, let's go for it. But is that a reason to end the program or is that a reason to expand it? Yeah. Wasn't it just a trial? 
Yeah. So if you want to tell me that you're ending a program because it didn't benefit the people you wanted it to benefit and instead are not just like expanding it to benefit the people you wanted it to benefit, you're just trying to um, make me seem like a terrible person and defend your position, which you don't actually care. You just don't want $25 a day daycare and just come on out and say it. Just come on out and say that you hate children and women because that's all I hear anyway. And I think the thing there is like those people that still need, like still need help. Yeah. Or they wouldn't be using it. No, but even the people that didn't help, like that, let's say there's like a really low income area of Calgary or Edmonton or whatever that didn't have a $25 a day daycare, like that need for it doesn't go away. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so let's, I, I pulled some national averages, um, because I, I think it'll be like kind of eye opening of like who needs the help and what the base income for a lady, um, to like actually need like subsidized childcare. So I looked up from like stats, Canada, 2018, just all ladies, all ages, 16 and over. What is their median income? It's $30,800 a year. Let's remind people the difference between median and mean and mode and all those things because I always forget. Sure, sure. Um, So the mean is the average, but I like to use I'd like to use the median rather than the average um, where possible because the mean or the average can be pulled one way or the other, like for outliers. So for instance, if you had um, several folks that earned a couple dollars a day, but you had one person, like, I don't know, um, maybe his last name is Bezos or something that like literally earned that amount every second of the day. Um, That person's income is going to massively skew the average to the high side. Um, So you'll have a much higher average than you will mean. Uh, A mean is just the middle number. You take the lowest number, the the highest number, or sorry. Yeah. Sorry. The median. Um, Yeah. So the median. It's super easy. It's so easy to confuse these things, but it's always important to remember which one we're we're looking at. I think for statistics anyways. Me too. Yeah. And so I don't know why they made them all start with the letter M. Right. Um, I feel that's confusing, but yeah, the median (laughs) is just the middle number. It's just the middle one. So you start at one end, you start at the other end and you just count inwards. Exactly. Um, and then the mode is just the most often one, um, which unfortunately I don't think we get a lot of information on, um, just like through stats can and stuff like that. I don't often see the mode being used. Um, and I would like to see more of it because I think that's a really important number. We should uh, start a petition for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, hashtag use the mode. Yeah. If we could fund stats Canada or like standard (laughs) deviation and, um, you know, like uh, percentiles and that kind of thing. If we could have some someone actually like look into that, that'd be great. But we'd need more Coming money. Coming back to our median income. Let's review. Yeah. What's that all number right. again? Median income for all the ladies across Canada in 2018 was $30,800 annually. Gross. And yeah. And so um, based on CMHC's data for October 2019, nationally, the annual rate for rent, not the monthly rate, but the annual rate was $12,924. So almost half of your money is going to rent. That's a two bedroom. If you have a baby, you need a two bedroom. So let's assume this lady has no partner. She's just a lady and a baby. 
annual food costs at SCAN is uh, about $8,500 a year. Daycare nationally is $10,000 on average nationally as of 2017. So if we, it's great. So if we assume that we've got our average, you know, regular Canadian lady that does not exist, um, but let's say she does, who has these earnings, has these expenses, and she doesn't have transportation, she doesn't pay for power, heat, car insurance, she doesn't buy clothes, she doesn't buy shoes, she doesn't do her hair, she doesn't buy makeup, netting all this out every year at the end of the year before she files her taxes to get whatever social benefits she can get, she's going to be in the hole $651, negative $651 at the end of the year. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, let's, you know, maybe we've got a lot of pensioners in there. So the average uh, age for a lady to have their first child in Canada as of 2006 or 2016 rather is about 30. So we can take the women from 25 to 34 at Stats Canada. The median income for them in 2018 was 35,000. Okay, cool. Take all the numbers that we had before, about uh, 13,000 bucks annually in rent, about 8,500 annually in food, $10,000 annually in daycare, and you're only coming out net positive $3,500, but that's gross. So- And that's per year. And that's per year. So monthly, that's only about $295 above every month. So like if you can get a bus pass, power, eat, insurance, clothes, formula, hair products, makeup, fucking whatever it else is that you need. Diapers. You don't have diapers. Diapers to get to your job for $295 a month. Good for you. Good for you. Um, well, let's say, okay, so this person qualifies for socialized housing. She's on her own. She's a lady. She's a low income earner. All right. So if you get socialized housing on average. I just want to interrupt you for a second. Isn't it sure. wild that you just said the medium, median income is a low income earner? Yeah. For ladies. I just want to think about that for a second. Like yeah. that means... And this is not, I would just like to highlight the average age for a lady to have their first child is about 30. The median income that we're looking at is 25 to 34. Okay. This is before we have that stupid fucked up dropout rate of like, Oh, you just didn't go for a higher paying position because you had a kid, you know, it's just, you weren't, and we'll get into that. Um, and that, that stupid corporate argument about, you know, you're just not dedicated enough because you had a child. This is before. Yeah. This is, is before. Like you have some yeah. high, you're supposed to be in some of your higher earning years at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you don't have kids. Um, you know, you're a decade out of college and university, but yeah, I yeah. find that really interesting to think about the fact that a median income for women is a low income mm-hmm. number. Mm-hmm. And in many cities would be below the poverty rate because the poverty rate here in Calgary is like $42,000 a year. Yeah. And keep in mind from our other episode, when we compared um, women's incomes to men's incomes and also women's education level to men's education level, women on average are more likely to have a post-secondary degree, but they are still more likely to earn at least $10,000 less than a dude. 
in their same demographic. Which is wild. Okay, sorry, I interrupted the socialized housing, but I just really wanted to focus on that for a second. Yeah, so let's say we'll be like, all right, well, you know, she's going to qualify for socialized housing. So like, get off my back. We're already doing stuff. All right, so let's, the annualized rate for socialized housing as of October 2019 is $7,500 thereabouts. So we've basically almost cut the rental expense in half. So that would get you net positive before taxes, which are deducted on every paycheck, by the way, net positive $8,973 thereabouts or monthly just under $750 that you're coming out positive. So now with $750, you can maybe per month, I don't know, could you afford a car? Probably not. We forgot cell phone too. Oh yeah. Yeah. No cell phone is in there. This is it. This is it. These are the numbers. There is nothing else except food, shelter, and childcare. Yeah. So think about all the other things you have to pay for. I know we spend more than $750 on all of those things every month. Well, yeah. And then if you look at it for like ladies without kids in the 25 to 34 um, year old age bracket there, um, you just add back the daycare expense. So they're only net positive. Uh, like about $13,000 at the end of the year. That's $1,000 a month before tax for transportation, cell phone, power, internet, heat, insurance, clothing, shoes, all the other stuff that we've already talked about that we all pay more for just because we're ladies. So makeup, hair, as we talked about in the last- Tampons, as we talked about in the last episode, hair removal for trans women. It's not enough. It's not enough. This is why we have more women in poverty than men. It's this right here. Um, So when we add kids into the picture um, and we don't have that socialized, we don't have universal childcare, we're not all paying our fair share for the um, responsibility of raising the next generation, then uh, yeah, we're really not getting there. So I did look at a dual income for lady wages. So let's say you're a lady with another lady. You are two average Canadian women based on these numbers, earning median income. Monthly, you're going to have additional income somewhere between, uh, or like a net positive, I guess, per month, somewhere between $2,500 and like $3,500. Which Again, still, before tax. Before tax for a dual income household, if you're two average ladies. And you're also probably qualifying then for less benefits from the government because they take mm-hmm. household income into a account there. Exactly. So can you afford two vehicles? Pro- probably not. And this is only one kid. And this is not like putting all those other barriers in. If you were uh, a two woman dual income earning household or like say like two non-binary folks like basically just two like not men um like huge disadvantage huge disadvantage and it's not for lack of trying i mean that's a whole nother episode on its own (laughs) yeah so yeah so i just wanted to throw that out there and then people might think well you know like this is just a national average like what what would say a woman living in Calgary pay. So like full disclosure, I do not earn the $35,000. I earn more than double that. That's fine. Um, But what do I pay? So let's look at this if I were on my own. 
without hubs in the picture. Um, before having a kid, when we were renting, we were paying 2300 in rent for a two bedroom. So that was costing about, uh, you know, 27,600 a year. Right now it's gone down. I pay about 1400 a month in childcare, which is about, uh, 16,800 per year. I would need to do that anyway, whether or not the husband is there, I would need a two bedroom anyway whether or not the husband is there. Um, so we can see that's already a significant expense. For food, I just looked at what we eat right now. And, you know, yeah, I guess husband's food is included in there, but I spent about 500 bucks a month on food. It's not going to go down that much. And we can maybe get into why a little bit later. So that's about 6,000 bucks a year. If I were a median income earner, and earning 35000 a year and had those same expenses. And like, I am not living the high life here when I talk about spending 2300 a month in rent. You know, um, it was close to work, all that kind of thing. So you have to think about that as well. Um, so in this particular situation, I would not have needed a car because I could have walked to work and to my childcare um, facility. But if I earned 35000 uh, $35, a year, I would be in the negative at the end of the year by $11,800 or negative $983 a month. That's wild. It keeps us tied to heterosexual relationships. It 100%. keeps, yeah, it keeps us tied to our spouses. We know. And shitty jobs. And shitty jobs. And shitty jobs. And like, we know that domestic violence goes up after women have their first child in heterosexual relationships. This is what we're doing to people when we don't subsidize childcare. This is what we're doing. We're allowing women to be put in unsafe working conditions, unsafe uh, relationships. We're making them economically dependent on men, whether or not they want to be. And uh, it's pretty gross. Yeah. So just even think about, you know, cutting that daycare cost, and like, well, technically it would be like a third, right? So 14 mm -hmm. or $1,500 down to $500 a month. Like that is a significant amount of money. That that's your, that's your gap, right? A thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So subsidized childcare. So when you put it that way, like subsidized childcare could allow this average lady to actually have economic independence with a child. Like barely, but <laughs> barely, but enough to get out. If yeah. like, say you were in an abusive relationship, it would be enough to get out. Totally. Or not totally, I guess. Everyone's situation is different, but you yeah. make a really, really good point is if they were in an abusive relationship, they could look at leaving because they could actually look at the numbers and say like, there's a way here for me to, you know, not rely on my abusive spouse. Mm -hmm. You are not, uh, well, you're less likely to be a victim of financial abuse in that case as well. You know, oh, yeah. it just, That's a, again, a whole another conversation. And we talk, we've talked about financial, um, infidelity, but financial abuse is a whole another situation. Um, so I did do the, the Alberta numbers as well, but like nothing changes regionally. Like, I mean, you can do it on your own, but not a lot changes because as soon as you say, Oh, I live in, um, 
a metropolitan area, I'm more likely to earn more. Well, you're also more likely to spend that money on food and rent and childcare. Mm -hmm. So the difference isn't super pronounced. If you live in, you know, a more rural area where things are a little bit cheaper, you're more likely to earn less. There's not as many jobs. There's also not as many childcare spots. So we, we have some, some problems there. For me, like, I want to see obviously a reduction in expenses, but what I really like to see more of is increase in income for those individuals as well. Yeah. Uh, They deserve to be paid more. 100%. Like I know everyone thinks $15 an hour is a lot for a minimum wage, but that's like 30 K a year. That's nothing. Like that is literal nothing. And so I went into that too, you know, there are other problems with, you know, just looking at the earnings. The childcare that we see now is basically uh, formatted around Monday through Friday, nine to five. If you are working in retail, you know that that's not possible. If you're working in a service industry, whether that be a restaurant or a hotel or what have you. If you're working and these, any shift, that's not yeah. possible. Healthcare and, workers. And those are predominantly women who work those. It's predominantly women who are nurses in in healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. It's predominantly women who are, um, and I'm going to forget the actual title of this, but like, you know, the receptionist at the the medical centers and stuff like that, the ones that are open, you know, almost 24 hours, it seems like, the walk-ins. It's predominantly women who are in the service sector. It's predominantly women who are in retail. We've got women working the hours of, let's say, like 9 a.m. to at least 9 p.m. or more if they're, if they're doing night shifts. Um, we've got a lot of people in gig work positions. So if you're working gig work or you're working shift work, you can't actually find childcare that works for you because childcare is only open to a certain time of day. There are ladies that, and, and men, like there are parents that get off work at your typical 5 p.m. and struggle to make it to their childcare facility on time. And that's regular, regular. Yeah. I, like when I say regular, I mean, it's not really regular now, but um, because there are so many different ways to work, but regular in the sense of like societal expectations, like that's a regular mm-hmm. work day, right? Yeah. And if you're scheduled on a Saturday or Sunday, there are no childcare centers that I have seen that are open Saturdays or Sundays. Well, like I look at my job, like if we weren't in a global pandemic, I would be at, like, I'd be completely fucked because mm-hmm. uh, like how many times am I on a plane? Yeah. Right. Like, and what if the flight's delayed? Like, what, what do you do? Like mm-hmm. you can't make the, like, so I travel a lot for work, but like you can't make the plane go faster. Yep. Yeah. And if your spouse, let's say is like you and, and is traveling quite a bit and the lower wage person is you know, expected to do all the drop-offs, all the pickups, all, um, all basically like the domestic labor on top of actually working a full-time job. That's also not realistic. You see a lot of ladies, especially in Alberta, who are married to, to people who do the like two on one off, like those kind of schedules, right. Where they're working out of town that also are unable to go back to the workforce because of limited childcare uh, 
hours and availability, as well as demanding shift work. We have eight hours of time at work, your butt is in that chair, but then you also have to take maybe 30 minutes to drive your kid to the, the childcare facility, plus another 30 minutes to drive to the office on top of like getting everybody ready. Then you do pickup, mm -hmm. then you do dinner. Then like all of a sudden your day starts at 5.30 and you know, your kids are eating late, they're grumpy, they're going to bed late, and then you're not going to bed until like 10 p.m., maybe 11 p.m. After and you've had done. no time to even recharge at that point. Exactly. And it's completely unrealistic. So I, I worked out some numbers. Um, if you are at a $15 minimum wage, working a 40-hour week, 52 uh, working weeks, you're only getting uh, about 31000 annually, which leaves you at a negative of just under $5,000 a year using our numbers. And it's not realistic because we can't work 52 weeks. So if you're at one of these minimum wage jobs that doesn't have sick leave, that doesn't have anything like that, your kids are going to get sick. You are going to get sick at you some point. You have like point. a runny nose at this point. You can't like bring your kid to daycare is my understanding. I'm, I don't yeah. think you can daycare, you do. But like, yeah. because of the global pandemic, it's like you can't even drop them off if they have like any sort of a symptom. No, we have to temperature check every morning. We have to do all that kind of stuff. And without paid job protected leave, you're absolutely hooped. So when we talk about, you know, schools going back during the pandemic, there are already parents that have, that are forced into making the decision of sending their kids to, to school ill because they do not have job protected illness leave. They do not have paid job protected illness leave as man mandated by some sort of like government regulation. You're absolutely hooped. Your choice is between paying your mortgage and putting food on the table or keeping your sick child home. And that's yeah. not a real choice. No, it goes back exactly to what we were talking about before. It's the illusion of a choice. And mm -hmm. it's actually interesting that you bring that up. I was reading an article today, actually, Salesforce, which is a tech company in the US, has actually just announced that they are going to give parents an additional six weeks of leave per year over the next, well, I mean, maybe it's a trial program. So it's at least over the next year until the summer of 2021 to basically manage this, like manage the fact that they need to probably at some point, the school that their child is going to is going to close down or they're going to have to bring their kid home or the kid's going to get sick or their kid's going to have a sniffle and they will need to spend time at home um, obviously either educating if they're homeschooling or taking care of a sick kid. And I mm -hmm. was like, that is fantastic. Absolutely. Like good on that tech company. But I still can't believe that we have government that hasn't mandated this. Yeah. And it needs to be mandated. It needs to be mandated. And if you're not working at a very large corporation, it it also needs to be subsidized in some totally. kind of way. Because I mean, Salesforce I, is a huge company. They can afford it. Amazon can afford a lot of things. But there are the kind of industries and the kind of business owners that I would like to see more of, which is your local neighborhood, you know, shop owners, small retailers, um, those folks, our neighbors, you know, I don't want them to, you know, be negatively impacted 
either, right? Like there should be something maybe universal that could allow folks to be safe and not pushed into these these false choices. I certainly don't want to subsidize billion dollar organizations. Of course not. Um, but there's a lot of folks that um, will be left behind if we don't do something. Agreed. And, you know, that's a great point is these, these big multinational tech or whatever companies absolutely should be rolling these programs out because it's the right thing to do, but they should also be paying their fair share in taxes and same with the billionaires so that the canary or whatever um, refillery down the street from me or the local coffee shop that you maybe walk to in the middle of the day to grab your midday pickup doesn't go bankrupt trying to give their people the right amount of time off to do the right thing and raise their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Moving on to the next bit of what does this mean for people without children or their children are grown or they're not thinking about having children or you just like don't like kids. And that's like, that's valid. Lots of people don't like kids. You don't have to, they're germ crazy and kind of annoying sometimes. Um, they're but always this so thing- sticky too. Like why are they always so sticky? <laughs> they're just always into stuff. Like always. I say that as I'm like six months pregnant. <laughs> why yeah. are they so sticky? <laughs> yeah, and and just like as a word of warning, people will be like, "But you'll love it when your kid does it." You will not. Like diapers <laughs> still suck. Um, juice fingers or like putting your fingers into sticky substances and then like touching your parent is still gross. Um, It doesn't make it better. You just don't stop loving your kid for that, but it's still disgusting. So yeah. Still just as sticky. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah. So like, what does this mean for like folks that aren't parents? Well, especially for ladies, if we're going to start, you know, having these illusions of choice brought up as legitimate arguments, which they're not, en masse, it, it devalues women in the workforce. If we lose a lot of women, like say our age, the generation behind us is going to have a harder time of getting promotions, of getting a good job, of earning more. It devalues the work that women do because we're always a liability. We always might want to have children, which happens a lot now. Or we might get accidentally pregnant. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you have a uterus, you could get accidentally pregnant, which is another discussion that I think we should have at some point too, because that's also not a cool argument to have. But yeah, it it devalues our work um, overall. It puts us in a worse position when we're negotiating our salary. It puts us in a worse position when we look at education. Like we talked about, you know, why I paid off my own student loan and why I think it's a shit idea to have like some dude pay for my education. No, just like pay me the amount that you would pay a dude with my education. It's not fucking hard. Um, And also like, I don't want to be looked at like some sort of um, delicate, fragile, whatever. And like, it's just... Um, fluff or aesthetic for like a woman's brain to be educated. We should be way past that. So um, yeah, it devalues our education. It devalues our contribution to society. It devalues anyone in a caretaking role, their contribution to society, because you start looking at like, well, like some mom could just do that for free. And then we look at like those who are caring for our senior citizens and stuff as well. And they say, oh, well, you know, just 
that daughter could take care of that ailing parent for free. That grandmother should take care of this person for free. Um, and we just start devaluing the, uh, the contribution of our service to society, whether or not you have children, whether or not you're in a caretaking role. The other thing is too, don't we want the next generation of our, our citizens, if, if that's the way you want to look at it, or like the next generation of our neighbors, like we're going to get old, other people are going to move into our neighborhood. Wouldn't you want them to like have been raised to be like good people and have like a safe environment to go to either early childhood education in or elementary school in or junior high in to have grown up with food security to not wonder, you know, whether they need to like go to school ill or like while they're ill and convalescing to like not have access to food because mom and, and well, mom and whoever need to pay the rent. Um, don't we want that for the next generation or are we just like full stop? It's the number of people we have on the planet is the number of people that we have on the planet. Because when you don't want to invest in children and babies, to me, that's what you're saying. You just don't want humans to exist anymore because procreation is part of that and we should all take uh, responsibility for it. I don't know. What do you think? I think, like, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I think we have to, you know, look at the next generation and invest in them, especially because in general, in the first world, fertility is going down. Like the, the rate at which people are having children. And there's actually an interesting book that um, talks about this. It's called what to expect when no one's expecting. And it talks about, you know, the replacement rate and all that. And, and it, it's not good if we get to the point where there's more people dying than um, there are people, you know, coming into those tax earning years. So, you know, your daughter at some point might be the Starbucks barista for one of our parents, right? Like, you know, they're going to be, she's going to be at a working age when our parents are retired and um, maybe living in social assistance or getting social assistance because they're old. And so it's those tax dollars that drive, um, you know, those things being covered, healthcare for older people. Um, it becomes very expensive if we don't have enough taxpayers to, to pay for the, the thing, the programs and the things and the healthcare. And if we don't invest in people, we're gonna be in trouble. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I think there are some folks and I've heard it on arguments of, you know, why we have to have poverty why we have to have what a shitty human you are <laughs> it's like i don't understand those arguments and that's not how they come out and frame it but it's always like well we can't afford it but the thing is we're throwing out a lot of really good food like in the grocery stores we we can sustain the number of people we have on this planet we we make a choice globally and nationally not to we make a global choice every day to just not feed each other. And especially, especially the people who make like an, a minimum wage person's at, like hourly wage every second, those people are but making make, a conscious they choice. They do make more than that. But like at a minimum, like making $15 a second those folks, those companies are making a conscious 
active decision to not feed other people, to deny people food. Like at a certain point, that's what you're doing. I don't earn enough to make a conscious choice not to feed people. I have to participate in this society. But those that Mm -hmm. are like really living the high life right now are literally making an active choice not to feed people. And it sucks. It does suck. And I think, you know, maybe closing the episode on a higher, not really a higher but on a, we've talked about this like ad nauseum, but like things like a wealth tax are what start to make, you know, this a more equitable society. And I was reading an article today that was saying like the wealth tax didn't work in any other countries. Like why would it work in Canada? And it's like, and I know you and I have had this conversation, but it's, it's like, okay, well then let's do something different with the wealth tax. Like it's not that the wealth, the taxing rich people doesn't work. It's just the rates and you know things that they're more so the rates probably and the the value that they are taxing these people at and what they're actually putting this money towards Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i feel like that's the exact same argument um that was had with the 25 dollar a day daycare is like well we couldn't get this program to immediately make a huge benefit to the people that we that needed it the most and we couldn't um, immediately stop any bad actors from accessing the program when they didn't really need it, which whatever. Um, So we just shouldn't do it. It's like, are you fucking kidding? And that's the exact same thing. Like the wealth tax has never worked. The wealth tax has never worked yet. Like it hasn't been tried all that many times and it hasn't been tried all that, um, you, you know, universally either. You know, it hasn't been like hugely targeted um, in terms of like trying to make wealth distribution a thing. So like, yeah, whatever, man. Like we can have an iPhone, but we can't figure out a fucking wealth tax. Like, please, like just let's take some time and think about it. Totally. Like I, I think there are smart enough people that we could probably employ to help us put the policy in place for a wealth tax that would actually do some good work and, you know, focus on the people that need to be focused on around, around that wealth tax. And, you know, again, when we talk about a wealth tax, we're not talking about probably anyone listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. We're talking about people, unless there is someone listening to this that makes this much money, like then please like DM us and let's talk. But um, yeah, like we're talking about people that have like $20 million or more in um, Mm -hmm. assets. Like we're talking about like the dragons on dragon's den. We're ta- those are the people. Mm-hmm. Like those are the people we're talking about. We're talking about the Jeff Bezoses, the um, like the, I said, the, the dragons point- or the sharks or whatever. Those people. When people are bringing up wealth taxes and inheritance taxes and stuff like that, these things, as they've been framed in today's conversation, in Canadian terms, are touching only the like zero point one percent of wait say that again zero point zero point one percent so how many canadians is that uh i you know what i don't know um but it's it's not that much I, i mean the distribution is so skewed you have a very 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 small amount of the population owning and controlling 
a very large amount of the wealth. So like, yeah, I guess you could do it like however many million people and take 0.1%, but it's not going to be 0.1% of you. You probably don't even know these people. Like these are very, very wealthy individuals that have had wealth for generations. So what do you want our pink tax rebate to be? Because like I had like a whole list of how to make society equitable and it's, it's very long. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think we need to start having conversations and understanding these things and who they actually affect, right? Like the median being the middle number of people earning between 30 and $40,000 a year, especially that are women is ridiculous when, um, you know, a wealth tax is only going to affect the 0.1% of, of wealthy people. So like have an understanding or try to understand what that means for you. And, and what it means for you is we're just supporting women and moms and um, people who identify as women and new parents to raise future taxpayers, which is literally going to keep our society afloat. And if we have to do that through taxing people that make or have over $20 million, like let's probably do that. Yeah. I think we could do that. Also universal childcare. That's, that can also be the the other pink tax rebate. There's so many. So many. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to share your money story using the hashtag FemFinances. David Chilton just followed me on Twitter today. So I'm not saying that maybe we don't know them. Maybe one of them follows us on Twitter. Maybe. That was my cool flex for the day. Yeah. Well, I wonder what his thoughts would be on the wolf tax.